0: There's a reality TV show called Married at First Sight. Uh, It's been around for about eight seasons. Some of you may be familiar with it. The premise of the show is is that uh, two people agree to let a panel of experts arrange a marriage for them, sight unseen. They don't actually see each other until they are standing in front of the altar at their wedding to get married. And then what happens is is the show sort of follows them, and I think the way it started early on, they had four weeks, and I think now they have eight weeks, to kind of learn how to be married, and then they get to decide at the end of that period whether or not they want to stay married or get divorced. Now, I think to myself, man, this is crazy to not know who you're going to marry until you show up at the altar, but then I read Genesis 24, and actually, Isaac and Rebecca, this is their experience. They do not meet until their wedding day, and in many ways, they are sort of married at first sight, and then they have to go on and figure out how to be married after uh, they get married and, and learn to get to know one another in the process. Now, of course, there's one really big difference between Genesis 24 and the show Married at First Sight. And that is, instead of a panel of experts doing the choosing, it's God himself who selects a wife for Isaac. Well, one of the really cool things about being in the book of Genesis is that it allows us to go back and look at things sort of at the beginning and to see and understand better how God's intentions were meant to unfold. Isaac and Rebecca is the second couple in Bible history that we get to watch get married. The first is Adam and Eve. Between Adam and Eve and Isaac and Rebecca, there are lots of people who are married, but they're sort of married off camera. They just sort of show up in the story and they're married. So Cain and Lamech and Noah and Lot and even Abraham himself, we just simply find out that they have spouses. For Ishmael, we get a little tiny glimpse of how he ended up being married. But Isaac and Rebekah, the way they end up together is front and center, and the camera has zoomed in on this couple, which gives us the opportunity today to think through how does God bring two people together? How does God get involved in causing a marriage to happen? Now we want to do more than just that this morning. We also want to think about what can we learn about marriage generally from Genesis 24 because how marriage starts also gives you insight into how God intends for marriage to continue. And even further, beyond even the idea of marriage, Genesis 24 is powerful for us in thinking through how does God guide and direct? How does God lead us this way and that? So let me invite you, if you've closed your Bibles, to open them back up to Genesis 24. We want to look together at this story found on page 17 of the church Bibles, of how Isaac and Rebekah came to be a married couple and how it is that God chose them for each other. Now, I want to say up front, when you hear Genesis 24, there is a danger with this story Because you and I might think this is the only way that God would be involved in causing two people to come together. Let me just say up front that the Bible demonstrates lots of ways that God is involved in bringing two people together. For example, one of the most common ways that God uses to find spouses and connect them together Is mutual attraction. In just a few chapters in the book of Genesis we're going to hear the story of Isaac and Rebekah's son Jacob. Jacob is going to go and meet a woman named Rachel and God is going to use the fact that when he sees her he is immediately attracted to her and she is attracted to him and the Bible makes clear God is using their attraction to one another to communicate his will that they are to be together. This also happens in the story of Esther and Xerxes. Esther is raised up by God at a very particular and important time in Jewish history, and God needs her to marry Xerxes, and in order to bring that about, God uses Xerxes' attraction to Esther to communicate that it is God's will that the two of them be married. The same is also true in Samson's story. Now, sometimes when we hear this word Samson, we think about women, we think about Delilah. He doesn't actually marry Delilah, he marries a different Philistine woman in the chapter before. And we're told that that marriage was actually arranged by God, and God used Samson's attraction to this woman to communicate that this was the woman that God had for Samson. So we have lots of examples in the Bible where God uses mutual physical attraction to bring two people together and that shows God's blessing on their marriage. We also have examples where God demonstrates his will by causing his spirit to do something in and through a person and another person pays attention and notices, hey, wait a second, God's spirit is really active in this person. When I was in my uh, young 20s, I went to a church in Dallas, Texas that Tony Evans was the pastor of. And I remember him preaching a very formative sermon for my life on this very subject. And he said, hey, now I can't really imitate the style, but you'll get the idea. He said, you want to get married? Get busy doing God's work. And then at some point, When you look up and look around, you'll notice there's somebody there working with you. That's the person to marry. That was how he met his wife Lois. And it is indeed a way that God uses to communicate, hey, this is the man or this is the woman for you. It's like the story of David and Abigail in the scriptures. David is on a journey trying to become king because God has sent him through this wilderness experience and indicated that David is supposed to be king The problem is, is that David gets to this point where he's about to make a huge mistake. He's about to kill somebody and betray his calling as a righteous and holy king, and God needs to stop him. So God sends this woman, Abigail, who is clearly full of the Spirit, and she comes to David and says, hey, look, you don't want to do this. You have been anointed by God to be king of Israel. And she comes in peace and in faith and in wisdom, and as soon as David interacts with her, he's like, you were sent from the Lord. You are full of the Spirit, and he looks up from the work that he's doing, and here is this woman, full of the Spirit. Now, a few days after that exchange, God actually kills Abigail's husband, and David sees this as the blessing of God for him to marry Abigail, and so he proposes marriage to her, And she accepts, and the two of them are married. God's spirit present in someone's life. You can can see God's affirmation in that as well. There are also stories of people following godly advice and ending up with their spouse. You may be familiar with the story of Ruth and Boaz. This is how they get married. Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law from a previous marriage, says to Ruth, we got to find a spouse for you. And she says... Here's who it is. It's this guy, Boaz. And Ruth, in her faith and submission, listens to the godly advice. And we recognize that God has brought Ruth and Boaz together using Naomi's good godly advice to guide them. We also have examples of people knowing God's will in this through dreams and visions. So Joseph is affirmed in his desire to marry Mary uh, through a dream that he has of the Lord. And the Lord affirms for him, yes, this is the woman that I've chosen for you. And when he has doubts, because she somehow is pregnant, God says to Joseph, don't be afraid. I've chosen this woman for you. So dreams and visions, God can communicate through that as well. We should also include the idea that God sometimes through callings speaks to us about marriage. Paul says the reason why he's not married is because he has a calling from God and that God gave him a gift of singleness. And that through that calling, God has indicated his desires for Paul to remain single. So too today, God often uses callings in our lives, callings to ministry, callings to serve him to communicate whether we're supposed to be married or who it is that we might be married to. Well, we add to that list Genesis 24, which is sometimes God arranges marriages. Now, I told you all of those ways because when we read Genesis 24, I don't want you to think this is the only way. But I will tell you personally, this is the way that I'm most drawn to. And that's because this is my story. So when I was in my early 20s, I read Genesis 24, and I thought, well, that'd be a pretty great way to come up with a spouse. And I think at that point, I had been relatively unsuccessful in sort of the dating phase, and I thought, well, there's got to be a different way to do this. Well, Genesis 24 sort of convinced me there can be another way to do this. And so I said to the Lord, Lord, would you be willing to do for me what you did for Isaac? And would you be willing to arrange a marriage for me? And I came up with two conditions. I asked the Lord if he would meet. And I asked and said, Lord, would you choose somebody for me that I don't already currently know? And would you pick somebody for me and tell me who it is I'm supposed to marry before I see them with my eyes? Because I didn't want to let my eyes make the choice. I wanted God to make the choice. Well, there's a long story there, but I'll just simply tell you Uh, Eight days from today, Lisa and I will celebrate our 24th uh, wedding anniversary. God was super kind to us. Thank you. God was super kind to us and answered both of those requests and told me that she was the one that I was supposed to marry. I met her six months later, first on the phone uh, and then in person. And the Lord continued to confirm for me that this was what he had chosen for me. But lots of ways that the Lord is involved. He can be involved through attraction. He can be involved through the spirits leading in someone's life. Dreams and visions, godly advice, arranged marriages, callings. But saying that God is involved in lots of ways does not mean that God is involved in every way that people go about finding a spouse. In just the book of Genesis alone we see examples where God is clearly not involved. For example, some people choose a spouse on the basis of sexual lust. That's the story of Shechem and Dinah that's coming up in Genesis. God is most clearly not engaged and not involved in that decision process. Some people choose a spouse either to please their parents or to anger their parents. Esau, who's Jacob's brother, does both. (laughs) He has multiple wives. Uh, God is not involved in any of those choices. Some people make choices of who to marry or not to marry on the basis of selfishness. In Genesis 38, the story of Judah and Tamar is just filled with selfish choices. And God is not in any of those decisions. Which of course begs the question, how do we have God involved in the choosing of a spouse? How can we go through and experience the blessing, whether it's exactly like Genesis 24 or it's like some of the other ways? We want to experience the blessings of God. How do we go about it in such a way that God is involved as opposed to him not being involved? one of the things I love about this story is that it's not Abraham who does the choosing. It's Abraham's servant. Now, if I'm the servant and I get asked to do this, can you imagine the stress? Could you imagine having to go do this? If this goes wrong, to have to come back and for the rest of their married life, be Abraham, be like, why'd you choose that lady? How did we end up with her in our family? But I love what the servant does, verse 12. Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Where did he learn how to do this? From watching Abraham. Abraham. The servant knows, look, if you seek the Lord, he will be found. If you pray earnestly, he will respond. I don't know that the servant ever watched Abraham arrange a marriage. But I do know the servant watched Abraham beg God for guidance and blessing and direction and saw God respond. And so the servant does what what he's been taught to do, which is, if you want God to be involved, get down on your knees and ask God to be involved. And so that's what he does. He also is very specific in what he's asking for from the Lord. This was the encouragement I thought. I was like, well, if this guy can be specific, I could be specific. He says, look, Lord, it'd be really kind if you showed me by doing this and this and this. I need her to say these words and do these actions. Now you might think, well, you can't tell God what to do. I don't think he is, but I think he's asking. Where did he learn this? From Abraham. Abraham. I think Abraham has demonstrated boldness with the Lord. Abraham says to God, look, you're not gonna destroy all the righteous people in Sodom, are you? That's very bold. So here is the servant, and he's emboldened by the fact that whenever Abraham is bold with the Lord, the Lord seems to respond. So here is the servant. And he cries out to God, look, I need help, I can't do this. I'm supposed to pick a wife for my master's servant? How in the world could I do that, God, without your help? And God, I'm begging you, please, could you make this clear? Nobody wants to make the wrong decision in this situation. And then finally, this sermon, he acts on the faith that he, respond, he receives. When it happens, he doesn't go then to her family and go, hey, I got this great idea. How about Rebecca marries Isaac? He goes and says, look, I got nothing to do with this. This was the Lord from the beginning. Here's everything that he did. And by faith, he's willing to stand up and say this crazy thing. I mean, if you were Bethel or Laban, you might have been like, we're running for the hills. What is going on here? But the servant so badly wants God to be involved that he begs him to be involved. He asks him to be as clear as possible. And then by faith, he responds by acting in accordance with what God's done. Now you may hear this story and you think, okay, but am I supposed to go like hang out by a well and wait for some woman or some guy to come by and ask him to bring water for my camels? No. You might, but no, not really. But let me give you some guidance that is the general principle for how you might recognize God's leading when it comes to finding a spouse or anything else. The general principle of which Genesis 24 is one specific example. The general principle is found in Galatians 5. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5. Do you want to experience the blessings of God in your life? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you want to hear from the Lord, Paul says the problem is, is for anybody who is a Christian, there are two warring entities within us. One is God's Holy Spirit who wants desperately to lead us into blessing and to take us into a place in which we experience the fullness of all that God has for us. And the other is our own cravings And desires of our flesh which actually want to lead us to what we think is going to be good for us but will actually be destructive because this is true Paul says you cannot do whatever you want that is a bad way to make decisions If you and I go about choosing a spouse or deciding to be married or not to be married or make any other decision simply on the basis of what we desire or long for or want or crave, you and I will not hear from God. Well, there's got to be some more help than that. Well, let's keep going in the passage. Can you put up the next part of Galatians 5? How can you recognize when it's the flesh that's in charge? Well, Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. In other words, sex outside of marriage, a lack of holiness, a partying spirit, these are not from the spirit. If this is part of the decision-making process, it is not the spirit who is driving the decision, it is the flesh that is driving the decision. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. If you see a person full of jealousy, given easily to anger, Trapped in laziness. These are signs that the flesh is making the decision. The flesh is in control and not the spirit. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But just like the acts of the flesh are obvious, so is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How did David recognize in Abigail that this was a woman from the Lord? She had these qualities. While he himself was acting in the flesh, she came in the power of the Spirit and David was reminded, oh, this is what God looks like. This is how God acts. If you want to, to see God and wonder what he's up to, these are the things that you are looking for. It's clear from our story, Abraham's servant sees these in Rebecca. It's not an accident that he asks her to do something that is an act of service. He doesn't say, Lord, please show me that this is the wife for my master by having her be a really fun party girl. Well, that would be the acts of the flesh. He's asking, Lord, reveal, if the spirit is there, a spirit of service, a spirit of hospitality, a spirit of kindness, God, let me see that spirit present in her. If you and I make decisions on the basis of what we want, it won't be the spirit. If we decide to get married because we want to get married as opposed to the Spirit leading us to get married, that's not from him. If we decide not to get married because we don't want to be married, but the Spirit is leading us to be married, we can't do what we want. We have to do what the Spirit is guiding us to do. So how do we respond to God's desire to lead and guide us into blessing? And for this, I think Genesis 24 now broadens into something more than just how God might be involved in choosing a spouse, but into how God wants wants us to experience blessings in relation to marriage in all ways. Well, notice in this story, something very fascinating. Everybody in the story, Abraham, Abraham's servant, Isaac, Isaac, Rebecca, Bethuel, and Laban. Everybody in the story has to submit to something they might not have chosen on their own. Nobody in this story is in control of the story except God. Abraham doesn't get to be the one to go choose a wife for his son. To be honest, he's probably too old to make this journey. I have to imagine this is difficult for him, but he has to submit to the fact that God is choosing the servant to do it instead of Abraham. Okay, Lord, I can't go. Please go with that guy. The servant has to submit, like I said before. I cannot imagine. This was on the job description when he took the job. Prepare the food, make sure the tents are taken care of, and choose a spouse for the kid. But this is what he got asked to do. And so he submits and does it. Isaac has to submit. At no point do we hear Isaac going up to the servant like, hey, I hear you're going to get a spouse for me. I've prepared a short list that I would like you to look for. He doesn't get to do that. He's got to take whoever comes home. And he's got to submit. Okay, Lord, if this is from you, I'll be married at first sight. Rebecca has to submit. She's never seen Isaac. This could be a figment of someone's imagination. Here comes some guy from some faraway land going, oh yeah, there's a guy back there that's going to marry you. She has to submit and accept, okay, if this is the way this is going to play out, if this is how God has done this. We don't know that she was looking for a spouse. She's just trying to get water for her camels. Okay, she submits. Her family, her father and her brother, they have to submit. They'd like her to stay. What do you mean you're going to take our daughter and you're going to go back someplace and marry her to some guy? We've never met him. They too have to submit. Because here's the big point. Whether it's about choosing a spouse or just marriage in general. In order to experience the blessings of God with the institution of marriage, the key is submission. (laughs) Perhaps more than anything else, marriage requires submission. If you want God involved in whether you are married or not married, you're going to have to submit to his choice. If you want God to choose someone for you to marry, whether through attraction, whether through the spirits leading in their life, whether through godly advice or dreams and visions or a calling or a directly arranged marriage, if you want God involved in the choice of a spouse, you're going to have to submit to what he chooses. If you are currently married you're going to have to submit to the fact that God has you married to this person and not to that person. No matter how you got into the marriage, you are now married. And the 10th commandment is, thou shalt not covet another man's wife. It's very easy when you are married to look at a different man or a different woman and think, oh, things would be different if I was married to that person or if I was married to that person or if my spouse was like this or if my spouse was like that. Marriage requires submission. You are married to the person you are married to, not to anybody else. Marriage requires submission. Because if you're a Christian and you're married to a Christian, you are married to a son or daughter of God. And God has plans for your spouse that go beyond what you might have planned for them. And that God has sworn an oath that he is going to take that spouse and transform them and change them in ways that you and I are not in control of. And we're going to have to submit to the fact that the person that we married, however many years ago, is on a journey with the Lord. And we're not in control of that journey. If you're married, you're going to have to submit to how it is that God might choose to end that marriage. You're not free to simply divorce for any reason you feel like divorcing. You have if you want God's blessing you have to submit to his rules about it. He does have rules about how marriage can end. But even if you meet all the criteria of those rules, God still may tell you, "I want you to stay." You got to submit. God may decide to end your marriage by taking home your beloved spouse before you're ready. It requires submission. The big point from Genesis 24 is whether we're talking about whether to be married or not, how to find your spouse, how to be married, or how to have that marriage come to an end in order to experience the blessings of God. It requires submission. Submission even to how God designed for marriage to work. The Bible's quite clear. The husband's role in a marriage is to sacrificially love his wife and give himself up for her. The wife's role is to submit to that sacrificial love and respond accordingly to it. You may be in a marriage where you think, I'm in the wrong role, I should be doing the other ones. There is submission to even how God designed marriage to work. The blessings of God come when we let God into the middle of the process. And look what happens when he's there. It's not that their marriage will be without problems. We're gonna see next week. They got issues in their marriage. It doesn't mean that if God chooses your spouse, everything's going to be smooth. It doesn't mean that you're never going to go through hardship or difficulty. But what it does mean is that you will experience the blessings of God, whether in singleness, or in marriage, or in divorce, or in widowhood. To this end, at Calvary, we've been thinking a lot about marriage and praying for marriage and families and parenting and men and women and all the issues sort of associated with it. And for a while we've been thinking about, it would be great to have somebody on our staff, a pastor, a minister to help us think through that. Well, God's provided somebody. And so I get to tell you that we're hiring a new ministerial position at the church. Uh, we have somebody who is going to help us in this area, help us to do a better job seeking the blessings of the Lord when it comes to marriage, whether to be married or not to be married, or how all of that is supposed to work. And uh, his name is Jason Mottbile. He's married to his wife, Julie, and in just a minute, uh, I'm going to ask Jason to come up here and he's going to pray over us and pray for us. He doesn't officially start until April 4th, so we're getting this one for free, Um, but I wanted you to meet him and I thought only the Lord could line this up, that we would be talking this morning about marriage. And uh, the elders voted to uh, hire Jason and he accepted that offer just this last week. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if uh, he could just pray over us and pray for us and you got to meet him uh, through that. So Jason, come on up here, my friend. And then what I'd like you to do while he's coming uh, is I'd like you, as he gets ready to pray over us, think through right now What is it that God brought you here this morning to ask you to submit to with regards to marriage? Is it whether or not to be married? Is there something there that you desire something perhaps different than what the Spirit is doing? Does it have something to do with the timing of when that might all come to pass? Is God wanting you to submit to the who and how he might choose that person or not choose someone for you does it have something to do with you having to submit to the fact that the person you're currently married to may not be the person you would choose to be married to today if you had your choice is God wanting you to submit to something that he's doing in your spouse's life that you're not sure where he or she is going and you're going to have to submit to what God is up to in that situation Or perhaps is God asking you to submit to how he might be bringing your marriage to an end, whether through death or divorce or some difficulty. So Jason, would you pray over us as a congregation?
1: Thank you. Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you this morning. You are so gracious, so kind, so loving. Lord, we do ask for forgiveness, Lord, in ways in which we haven't made you first and we haven't submitted to you, Father. Lord, I ask, Lord, that uh, throughout this next season, your Your Holy Spirit would just begin to pour out upon us in regards to marriage and family. I, I pray, Lord, that uh, marriage, Lord, as you designed it, is used to show your relationship between you and the church, and that we're submitted to you, and it demonstrates the love you have for the church. So, Father, I ask right now by your Holy Spirit, you would come and just begin to Flood our hearts, Lord, with your forgiveness and and mercy. And Lord, I pray for singles as well. As we look to this topic of marriage, I, I pray, Father, that right now in this moment that you begin to submit every desire and want and need, Lord, in a way that honors you. And Lord, in where we've been hurt and where there's brokenness and where forgiveness needs to be had, I pray, Right now in this moment, you would begin to bring restoration to that. Right now in this moment, Father, that you would bring healing. And so we thank you in advance for what you're doing in each of our lives and ask that you would have your way and that you would be so gracious to us that you would give us the desire to want things your way. We ask this, Father, In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church.
0: We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.